keep up on this podcast as much as I would like. I was doing a very good job, but then I had this idea. I was going to create an audio collage of a poet that I admire, presented to the world as like a entree into the mind of this fucking brilliant fucking person. In my mind, I was like, I'm going to do this collage. Then I'm going to get back into the groove, start doing interviews, start posting them at a pretty regular clip. But it was just taking me forever and ever working on this this uh, this collage project. That I started putting all this other stuff that would move the podcast forward on the back burner. But now I'm back. I have an interview here that hopefully you listen to and enjoy. An interview with a poet named Jeremy Boyd. And I have uh, interviews lined up with some pretty cool folks. I'm just going to tease out some of them. In fact, I'm going to tease out all of them. I've got I've got lined up interviews with Jesse Prado, Alexandra Naughton, Shy Watson, Catch Breath. And Lou Packard. I've spoken to all these people about doing an episode with them. If you're interested in the internet poetry community, this upcoming slate of interviews should be very exciting to you. So, if you're not loyal listener, I am on the fucking job. So, this this brings me to my next point, which is, if you want to support me or this podcast, you can go to ko-fi.com slash gas dance, all one word. So, it's coffee or coffee. It's this tip-giving online portal where you can... Give people that you think are cool money. KO-FI.com slash gasting. You can go there and it says buy gas dance a non-alcoholic beverage. You can choose three bucks, you can choose one buck, you can choose five hundred thousand bucks. Whatever the fuck you feel like, you can give me. But um I have set up a goal on my Kofi page, and that is the break-even goal. The break-even goal is $756. That would cover the various expenses that I've already accrued, some microphones, some recording devices, some web hosting fees, all of this stuff I've added up and it came out to around $756. So that's my first goal is to break even. I want to break even. That's all I'm trying to do right now. So I don't know if you if you vibe with this fucking podcast, send me a few bucks on co-fi k 
ko-fi slash gas dance. Or if the Kofi sounds a little cuckoo and you don't want to do that, but you do use the Venmo app, shoot me a, a small donation via Venmo. My Venmo is at Paul Hanson Clark. That's P-A-U-L-H-A-N-S-O-N-C-L-A-R-K. Send me some send me some bucks if you appreciate what I'm trying to do. It would really mean a lot to me. And it'll really make my fucking week. It'll make my fucking month. Honestly, it'll make my year. And to tell you the truth, it has only been recently where I'm like, oh yeah, this is the shit that I actually fucking love and am interested in and want to do. And I'm gonna fucking do it, cause, cause why the fuck not? And it's been hard for me to put myself out there in that way. But I've been getting better at it. But I've never been able to be like, hey, I'm doing this thing, I think it's cool and I think it's valuable. I would really appreciate it if you supported what I'm up to. I've never done that, I've never said that. So I'm saying it now. I'm doing this thing, I think it's cool, and I would really appreciate it if you supported what I was doing. That would really mean a lot to me. Thank you. conversation i think i'm gonna be like a, a game show host kind of energy right now like hey everybody uh welcome to the rolling book podcast this is phc your host i'm here with uh please sir introduce yourself how's it going paul this is jeremy boyd from frederick maryland how's frederick pretty good you know, COVID cases were kind of spiking for a little bit. It's a more urban area. I was born and raised here. I love Frederick. Our art scene is starting to kind of develop a little bit more. I love it, dude. This is my favorite place on earth. Like, I, I was born here and I moved. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah, dude. 
we didn't talk about talk about it, but tell me more about your relationship with Stockholm. You are like an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big ass Yeah, like tell, yeah. tell me about your life as a soccer <laughs> I'm very curious. A friend of mine who I think I, my friend Travis, who's a really great pro, like he's a professional golfer for like eight years or something like that. So it's always tight to me when people who are drawn to sport are also drawn to Yeah, it is kind of a weird overlap. You don't see it very often. Um, shout out to Travis, although I think golf is a skill, not a sport. But, you know, that's a conversation <laughs> we can have later. <laughs> no, put, put, put the gauntlet down. <laughs> uh, so I, I've been playing soccer since I was five years old. And no joke, like, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. That was, like, my, my biggest dream. Uh, so I, I went pretty hard playing soccer for a number of years. I played year-round. And I had like a decent high school career, I guess you could say. Um, I've always been like left footed and that's kind of a, a luxury in soccer. I guess a lot of people are right footed, kind of like right hand dominance. So that's kind of my uniqueness. So coaches are always excited when I'm playing on their team. They're like, yes, we have a left footer. And I ended up going on two trips for soccer. I went to Austria and I played in like a tournament. Uh, and then my junior year, I went to Brazil, and that was like a really legit moment. I got to train on like where the U.S. like soccer team trains in Brazil, and they split us up into two groups, like an A team and a B team, and we were playing like professional teams. But they were those kids were like eleven or twelve years old, and we were like fourteen, fifteen at the time, sixteen, and we were getting our asses handed to us. Like these these kids play soccer no joke like eight hours a day um a lot of them go to academies um because that's a really big thing in brazil and because you make money even as a kid playing soccer it's like something like thirty thousand reals a month so you can like support your whole family by playing soccer like you go to school for three hours and you play the rest of the day so it's it's like super serious for their culture um it, it was a lot of fun and i played with some of the best players i'll probably ever play with in my life um and i went on to college i, I like was determined to go to a d1 school because i was like i want to play d1 soccer i want to try to go pro and i get there and they're talking about like 4 a.m workouts and i'm like bro i, I want to be good at school too like <laughs> i can't i can't be a good student and get up you know at 3 30 in the morning to go work out and then go to a class then come back for more workouts and practice and then travel on the weekends for games and like keep up with my studies. So I just, I, I became a club player. I decided to not even like try out for the D1 team. And I had a lot of fun playing, but I ended up transferring schools and the school I went to didn't have a soccer program. So I kind of dropped soccer um, and I studied philosophy in my undergrad and poetry later. That's, that's fucking, that's, that's quite the pat. Um... But you like you've told me that you play soccer soccer still today. Like it's still party life. Um, I don't know what what I'm trying to what I'm curious about. But what does that bring to your life? Like what is this? Like I don't know. I think I have this whole like feeling about the world that like there's all this cool shit that like children do that like as you become older, it's like no no no. Like you're not supposed to do that. And like playing games like soccer is one of those things. But, like, to me, like, having that sort of – just having play in your life adds an element of richness 
or joy or excitement or something. Um, can you speak to that kind of stuff? Uh, I think just play in general teaches you about like continuance, like no matter what the outcome is, you keep going. Um, and I think that's really essential for anybody, not just creative people. And also just there's something about like engaging your your physicality. It's really important for me to get out and move because a lot of my job is kind of either sitting or standing. I'm sitting all the time at computers, you know, and uh, you just you like you got to get out and move and like sort of change the tempo of your breathing i think that's a really essential aspect of poetry especially like understanding breath and control mm-hmm. and how to sort of tap into those things to uh, help your thinking to kind of widen your thinking it's pretty it's pretty important i uh, have you ever seen the movie marley the documentary about bob marley no i haven't there's this part in that movie where he, he they're sort of talking about his like daily routines and shit and it was very interesting because like it was basically like he played soccer like five hours a day or some shit like it was like his favorite thing to do like he, he would get up eat like healthy food go for a run play soccer eat play soccer party then like do music and uh there's this part in it where the guy his friend who played soccer with him was like he, he makes this connection where he's like all the all the physical activity was part of the artistry. Like mm. he, he needed to like get his body like livened up to um, perform as an artist as well. I thought that was such a cool thing and such a beautiful artistic lifestyle that that sort of sketched out. say about it I, I think that makes total sense that there was a connection between him being an athlete or participating specifically in soccer at least um, because like there's also like I my favorite thing in soccer is like a perfect pass <laughs> like getting the ball measured just right and putting it into like the perfect amount of space for the person you're trying to give it to and like I guess I sometimes think about that as like a line or like a setup in a line. Like you're just looking for that perfect space to fill. And you have to like get the trajectory just right. And like it has to like line up with your foot or your voice just right, you know? (laughs) It's hard to, it's like, it's about like perfect measurements almost. It's like when you hit that perfect syllable count and it sounds like just really pleasing to the ear. 
it's that same kind of feeling when you get, have that perfect pass, I think. <laughs> They're very similar. I mean, even though like, I have no idea what it feels like to make a perfect pass, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I vibe with that just because like, I've had poems where like, all, I feel like it'll be pretty solid, but then I'll get some feedback and people will be like, here's some little bits that I take issue with. And then I'll ch it'll be like, say it's like a page long poem, change like maybe like two lines total. But like just that, just that little shift is enough to take the poem from being like a good poem to like, oh, this poem really like fires on all cylinders and really like impacts people when when you share it with them. And it's and it's incredible to me how how small, subtle things can have a completely transformational effect. Yeah, that's yeah, no, that's a really good point because yeah, it's like the perfect pass. Also, like you go maybe from like defense to offense, you're transitioned one style of play to another immediately like it intensifies the moment and the drama of what's happening on the field so yeah i think that's super related to, to poetry all right um let me ask you this mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't know what i'm gonna ask um <laughs> trying to think dude did you have you ever been a singer you ever you like um I was in choir when I was in school, and it's funny because when I was a freshman, my voice would sound a lot differently than it does right now. And uh, when I was a senior, it sounded a lot more like it does right now. So I went from singing all these like really cool like tenor parts oh, to having to sing these like fucking bass parts, where it's just like you're singing like three notes. Like oh, it's just it's such a <laughs> tedious type of singing. So I kind of hated it, but yeah, I've done some singing. Uh, I'm not like a big Christian or I don't have a huge Christian background, but I did like go to church fairly mm -hmm. consistently mm -hmm. growing up. And my dad like would sing, like he, he just like doesn't have a problem with singing. And it's kind of like funny almost. Like if you were to see a video of it, you'd probably crack up a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. So singing is a thing that I like to do just generally. I think it's fun. That's awesome, dude. I'm always like making up little songs. My girlfriend's recorded me a couple of times, like trying to like, not necessarily like freestyle but you know just like making up a short tune and like it's funny because that's such a private thing for me i like you would never catch me doing that in public around people i don't know or even like some of my friends but like yeah i, I sing to myself a lot and i relate to what you're saying though with this singing thing because like i um you know i sing a lot too and i like make up little tunes i do i do i do basically what you're describing but the I, like i can read a poem that's like saying the most like fucking crazy vulnerable shit about my life and feel like completely like yeah what what the hey like who cares <laughs> but if i like just sing a single line i just feel like just the act of singing itself is like so much more vulnerable than almost anything that can be done uh so i don't know I, it's this sort of like unfulfilled desire to some extent to like explore that part of my creativity more and in fact i have a few poems where there's like lines from songs that, that I put in just so I could sing in the context of a reading. I think if you're feeling it in the moment, you should definitely try it, you know, just because ultimately, like, the more you expose yourself, the more vulnerable you are, the more, like, generous you are with your energy. I feel like that's a, it's like a really, it just renews you. Like, people, like, it's like a, an infinitely renewable resource. To be vulnerable or generous in that way. 
you know, if, if you if you hear some, if you were to go to a reading and you heard somebody sing and you could tell that they were nervous about it, you're not gonna be a dick to that person. I would hope, like, <laughs> like I would go out of my way to be like, hell yeah, like way to way to way to go out there and do that. So I definitely recommend it. And also, dude, I was thinking about the differences between poetry and music generally, and like, no matter what, even if you're a solo artist, typically speaking you're engaged in some kind of collaborative practice because like somebody's doing the recording. So like you're working with that artist who's recording you while you're performing, you know? So like, you're always sort of, you're never really alone when you're doing it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's like, and it's just a, I mean, to me, like art is most beautiful is like a, is like a social act, you know, like the, the social piece of it is so crucial to like being an artist. I think the whole like lone genius thing is almost a completely false myth. Like, oh, I think it's bullshit. Yeah, even like people <laughs> who like, you know, if you look at like a Picasso who like, I guess like you could look at him and be like, yeah, that's a lone genius. Like you read about his life and he had this like rich tapestry of like, interesting people who were just like feeding into right. his like ideas sphere and shit so yeah exactly. i don't know and music really like and cinema too i think really brings that to the fucking floor where it's like you i guess you can make an album completely by yourself hypothetically mm-hmm. but you pro- it's probably like most almost no albums are actually like that you could make a film completely by yourself hypothetically but no fucking films are like that and i, I like those yeah. art forms because they kind of require that social exchange um, even if it is like mediated by the industry or whatever, I think in the best cases, there's like a real kinship between the collaborators. Yeah, I think so. And like, it almost forces you to be able to stretch like your sort of communal spirit. You know, you can't, because inevitably, like, why would you make music for nobody? So it's like, even let's say hypothetically, you did write, produce, record, maybe even did that like artwork you even like released it on your own you were able to like get some kind of publicity on your own like if you did all that yourself you're still going to share it with an audience and like the audience is going to determine what's you know what's really hidden <laughs> you know like it's it's never going to be just you yeah um, completely i mean like i i've i've with poetry i've done like a writing group where i have people critically talking about my shit to me like on a regular basis but i found that like going to the open mic and just like sensing how people react to something just a just kind of a visceral in the moment reaction that tells me a lot more about what works and what doesn't almost than mm-hmm. like thoughtful feedback Th- thoughtful feedback is also very helpful to me but it serves a different kind of purpose or or, or whatever and and to your point about uh collaboration being essential or whatever like i i was in a play a few years ago like me and my friends just did like a diy kind of play and i'm pretty like self-confident as a artist i guess and i was playing this role and i was just like feeling very good about what i was bringing to it and then the dude who was the director was like giving me all these notes and shit and for the first like couple days i was kind of pissy about it but then i like flipped a switch in my brain where i was like you know what just every note this dude gives me i'm just gonna follow like period and just like, just like, res- like releasing, relinquishing that control, and just being like, you know what? Yeah, like I have my idea of how this works, but like I'm gonna try his completely different idea and see how I feel about it. 
it, it just like it, it just expands what you do so much like it's fucking crazy can i ask you did it impact your confidence at all like like do, do you think like the control that you feel and the confidence are linked or do you think it didn't really impact it maybe it built up your confidence even more to be able to kind of bounce back and forth with somebody it definitely made me feel more confident in that like it, it was weird it was like kind of both at once because it was like on the one hand i was like oh i don't have to be like it doesn't have to be all me like i don't have to be the fucking like auteur of this performance who's like completely <laughs> deciding it and that's like in a way it's sort of like I, I guess you could interpret that as like not believing in yourself quote but on the flip side it's like actually like what i am doing is i'm like believing myself even more because i'm believing that like even if i take an idea in that i think is like fucking sucks it, it is possible that i could interpret it in a way that's like compelling and exciting in a way that i might not have expected so it's like the confidence then is like i i i have confidence in myself to be like an alchemist of creativity or something rather than like just a pure artist you know what i mean i don't know i'm getting a little muddy with the metaphor but <laughs> no i think i think i follow because you know I w i've been thinking about this so I, I think when i was like middle school high school being around my best friend who's like a super extrovert type person it allowed me to play like my role which is like as the introvert like the sidekick basically and i, I felt super confident in that role it made me feel like i was still standing out you know but i didn't have to be in the spotlight but then later on like doing music working with other people or even just like doing poetry uh, and like reading it with other people that confidence like totally eroded <laughs> because and i don't know if it's just like because i felt like in those situations i had to take more control you know like i had to sort of make sure my voice was heard i was like more competing to have my voice out there which is probably definitely the wrong attitude to take towards those kinds of projects, but that was just my mindset for some reason. That's like what I was focused on trying to do. And like my confidence took so many hits over the years that like I bounced out of music. Like I pretty much keep my poetry to myself with just friends and like other writers that I like, though I would like to be more public with it, you know, but it's, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Maybe I just lost focus. Confidence is such a mysterious fucking thing. Like I, I had definite like bouts of fucking confidence. Like it, it's it's a it's a constant push and pull for me where I'm just like, sometimes I feel very like strong, and sometimes I feel like the like it's almost all like a in my imagination or something like that. And and that's like that's a frustration, but. Like what, so what point, let me ask you this, because like, what point was sort of like your peak confidence, like w as an artist? Like, did you have a, did, did you have a phase where you're like, I'm killing it, like I'm feeling good about what I'm doing? Or, or has that always been kind of like a struggle? Definitely, I felt it more in the beginning because I had no idea how to judge what was good and what was bad, you know? So um, mm -hmm. like, the, the thing that really, took me from just writing in my free time to like making me think about should I pursue writing and poetry specifically was when I was my senior year of high school. Um, without me even knowing about it, my AP lit teacher like 
took a poem that I had written and she submitted it for this creative writing night that we had at our school, which I had no idea about. I didn't even know that that was a thing at our school. And I came to the school one day and it was on the morning announcements that I had won. And I was like, holy shit, like now I'm a writer. I'm good at this shit, you know? <laughs> and I And I had never even considered it prior to that point. Like I knew I had an interest in writing, but I'd never thought it was something I was gonna kind of take on as maybe like just more seriously or as like a vocation or as a, you know, as a central part of my identity. I never thought it was gonna go to that level, but it was in that moment where like you get that initial recognition, you're just like, my, my whole existence is validated. Like <laughs> I, I matter. <laughs> and so I was, you know, I was charged up. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go write some stuff. And uh, I was definitely most confident then. See, that's, that fascinates me because, like, I have, a, I have a lot of, like, thoughts about this where it's, like, validation is, like, a kind of a, a dirty word in some ways. Like, I've heard people speak about validation as, like, a cheap thing. Like, people just kind of desperately want validation or some shit. But I have a very different attitude, which to me, like, to me, um, this is, like, how it works. It's, like, people are more likely to make awesome art like, the more art you make, the more likely you are to make awesome art. So if you have a consistent and ongoing artistic practice, to me, it's only a matter of time before you start creating, like, really compelling, exciting shit. Like, that's just generally how I see things. And then to get to that, you're most likely to be able to do that if you have people validating what you're doing. So I had this whole sense of things where it's, like, to me, like, it's almost um, best as an artist to, like, create a machine around you it's like a social thing that like I was talking about earlier that like validates you and what you're doing. Cause like that will sustain you in a way that like um, a lot of other stuff just can't, I mean, like, I don't know, like, I don't know what um, accolades feel like cause I haven't like gotten <laughs> them and maybe like they do, um, you know, I'm sure I'm trying to think of like just a highly acclaimed person. Like <laughs> I, I can't think of a boy, but like I'm sure someone <laughs> feels pretty i guess like what's that guy uh i also do a podcast with some writer where he like he just toiled away for like 25 years and then all of a sudden he started winning like all the big prizes and he was just like yeah it was awesome <laughs> like, it felt fucking great. like it was a lot cooler to uh be acclaimed than not but but yeah i don't know i, I think it's uh it, it's it's again and it's like a cultural issue where it's like we're not encouraged to like create ways in our world that like generate creativity and artistic practice like that's not what society is all about so doing that as an adult is like a challenge and i think a lot of people struggle with it and i think that's what you see i mean i've i've seen it a lot where people like in their 20s early 20s mid 20s they're like very into art but then it just kind of starts to fade out of their life because like you know it's just hard to keep it going yeah. um and feel good about it yeah, I mean, it's a matter of energy, too. And, like, whether it's, like, a legitimate form, you know, whether it's, like, a sustaining form of energy to just be valid validated in any way, you know, cheap fuel is better than no fuel, so... <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, but I like what you said about kind of creating, like, a social machine to keep you going. Um, that's, yeah, that's good. Um, I can tell you many times, like, just having conversations with my friends about art not even like maybe making anything but just talking about it um it's definitely recharged me in so many ways and like literally has saved my life you know like people 
reaching out and being like, look man, like you have a voice, you've got a heart, those things matter. You've got to sort of, you've got to make use of them somehow, any way you can, you know, and it doesn't matter if it amounts to anything. Um, I'll tell you like that award in high school meant so much to me then, um, but I got, <laughs> I'm not trying to brag about this, but I got another award program but like that award felt cheap and weird because essentially the award was for like having the quote-unquote most creative book or whatever but they didn't give it to me for that reason they gave it to me because I was helping other people complete their books because we were finishing our last semester during the pandemic and so people weren't able to go to school and get help on their books so we were just kind of zooming together and I was just trying to help them put their books together. And I guess a bunch of people snitched on me <laughs> and were like, Jeremy helped all these people. And so they gave me an award for that. But let's see, like, and it felt weird because I would have done it anyway. And I, and the fact that they gave it to me under the guise of creativity was weird because there were other people whose books were, in my opinion, way more creative in so many different ways. Like, I, so it was just a weird thing to receive that award and it definitely felt cheap and it didn't feel validating at all so some accolades they're yeah. weird yeah <laughs> not always the yeah no it's true like I, and i think mo- i think more often than not i think most accolades i mean maybe i'm being cynical but like i think a lot of accolades do have that kind of like emptiness to them mm-hmm. where it's just like if you start to examine it and unpack it it's just like eh, who fucking care I, I just have kind of like that fuck everything kind of punk attitude or I'm just like fuck all that shit like it's all fucking stupid like the re- the realest coolest art is like happening in like weird corners where no one fucking knows what's going on like that's always the truth as far as I'm concerned so yeah let's go back to punk then it's down to earth you know people already read it the other ones happened and it's forgotten yeah punk then what, what, what do you use the word that is a word that could you know it's from the sun area of time and, and music and you seem to put it you know you say it describes our music well i think i think punk is just as vital now as it ever was as far as like inspiring people you can still look back on punk rock that came out in the early 80s and late 70s and still be just as inspired and, and, and you know into it as, as it might have affected you when it was released when it was and, out and punk punk was like very simple and there was a lot of energy on the first real punk there was a lot of melody too and uh it was a reaction to like stuffiness and like progressive jazz um in rock and roll old farts playing 20 minute songs when what rock and roll was was like a three minute song and it just really got you going you know go man go um you know i'm looking for kicks um emotional instead of like really cerebral Punk rock made me realize that you don't have to be professional. You just have to have passion. That's what made me start playing guitar. I was intimidated when I first started playing guitar by... I was intimidated by um, really professional musicians, like like heavy metal musicians who are very anal and technical and, you know, promoted the fact that they can play good, you know. And that, that made me not re- ever think of playing rock and roll realistically or ever making a career out of it or actually, you know, 
for it and doing it. But uh, when I first when I heard punk rock, I made me realize that these people are a lot like me. You know, they're just as sloppy and as bad musicians, but they still like passion and they like energy. And so it it helped me start a band. And hopefully it'll do the same for other kids and people. I told you this, maybe I didn't, but I have the same birthday as Kurt Cobain. No shit. Wait, yeah. so what's your birthday? February 20th. And Rihanna's See, the same, I'm, same. I'm February 19th. Oh, no shit, dude. That's fucking tight. We're both uh, we're both on the cusp. We're yeah, we're cusp both Aquarius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Yeah, no, I, uh, one of my bits online, I like to, uh, I, I used to like astrology memes, although they've gotten really shitty, but like I'll find, uh, it'll just be like, People use Rihanna as an astrology meme. I've seen you with the Taurus like tweets, and you're like, she's yeah. not a Taurus. <laughs> yeah, I'll just like find a meme of Rihanna. Like, if it's anything other than Pisces, I'm just like, yeah, she's a Pisces. Like, <laughs> sorry guys, like she is not whatever. Like, fuck is super psychic. I, I love that. <laughs> Man, that's tight. You're you're cusp of sensitivity.
positive Then I heard you was talking trash Change gears. We've been talking. We got into some serious, serious stuff. Um, one thing that we thought we could talk about is the number four. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. I'm gonna do a hard turn here into talking about the number four. So, Jeremy, tell us about the number four. All right. Um. So, I've always felt. Uh, I, my favorite number is 24, okay? And I've always felt an affinity for two and four. Um, and so I was telling you like a little bit about philosophy a minute ago. So I studied that in my undergrad and um, I got into Heidegger because he's into, you know, aesthetics and language. Um, you know, I have similar interests in those areas. And uh, there's this, philosopher who's he's like a heideggerian you know like he, he studies heidegger his name is graham Harmon, and he he was like i think i came across him actually initially um on like the zizek's like podcasts who i listen to his stuff often but i can't fucking read anything that zizek writes it's too much for me i like to just listen to him kind of ramble on um <laughs> and so graham Harmon was like a guest on one of his shows and i got really into him and he started talking about this like fourfold theory in relation to art and i am not going to be able to break that down for you but it, it it was very interesting to me and that led me to another person he brought up in his presentation uh, Mar marshall McLuhan, who's really popular in like uh communications i guess like that's sort of where he's popping off and he and i believe his son wrote this book called the tetrads where they talk about how every human innovation follows um, these like four qualities or rules or whatever. Um, and so, you know, I, I got a lot of that information pretty rapidly, like it kept popping up. So, you know, starting to pique my interest. But the after that, the thing that really made me feel like I needed to investigate the number four was when Toni Morrison died. Um, I had never read Toni Morrison prior to her death. And actually, on the day that she died, I was in a bookstore um, at Four Seasons Books, <laughs> and I picked up her book, Song of Solomon. And in the first like chapter of that book, which I was like reading there in the store before I bought it, um, the number four like popped up so many times. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And so I ended up finishing that book and like circling back to the forward because I almost never read introductions or forwards before I read the actual text. And um, she explained that four was sort of symbolic for her siblings and also like her inheritance because I guess she had four siblings and her father had just passed away. And so using the number four as like a symbol, it was like a way to um, express some of the qualities of her siblings as well as like an homage to her father somehow, which was really fascinating to me. So from that point on, I basically just started tracking every time I would come across the number four, like whether it was in my life or in my reading or 
on Twitter, wherever the fuck, like wherever I saw the number four, I was trying to keep track of it. And yeah, it, it was bizarre because like I started noticing right down the street from where I live, there's four friends farm. Um, I noticed like when I was running on the treadmill, the exact speed I would change from like a walk to like a jog or a run was four miles per hour, like on the treadmill. And then um, like the exit I take off 70 from work coming back to Frederick as exit four. And it's just like all these fucking weird things just kept reoccurring. And so to tell you the truth, I don't know exactly what four means. I'm not a numerologist or into numerology, but like obsessing with this number, the the patterns that I've noticed um, is that it definitely seems to pop up a lot um in association to like life and death um i think death more so than life and it also seems to be used a lot in relation to like somehow a feminine perspective or like relating to females so that kind of makes sense to me like the female beings maybe like an object of both like life and death you know like birth and death um and it seems to come up a lot in sort of that way and so i don't know what that means <laughs> but i've definitely noticed it um, I can give you more examples, but yeah, I, I have a very bizarre obsession with four and I'm working on this long essay that I'll probably try to keep working on for as long as I can. Um, cause I don't know if it's ever going to feel complete. I began to find it less arbitrary, the farm next door, the four friends farm, the four paintings of drooling faces by my friend Seth, one orange, one magenta, one purple, one blue, each in an old wooden frame hanging above my bed. Before I realize it, I have taken a picture of four vultures upon a tree in my neighborhood. Time haplessly passing, reading, the hands circling the incorrectly notated Roman numeral four on the analog clock atop the bookshelf downstairs. A lifeline, an IV, or well-disguised trapdoor, like the one labeled A4, used by Cary Grant, who plays a character with four fake identities to capture Hamilton Bartholomew in the film Sherrod. The biblical paradise with four rivers flowing out of it. The unprompted student nervously approaching me to tell me four and death can be pronounced the same in Japanese. Which, side note, I, I looked that up. I don't think that's actually true, but it is a true story. Like, I literally was sitting in a classroom and totally unprompted before the class even began. The student, while I'm in the midst of like this total fascination with the number four, like walks up to my desk and he's like, Did you know that in Japanese, like four and death are the same word? And I'm like, What the fuck? <laughs> Why are you telling me this? <laughs> Um, clovers that are lucky have Jay-Z's rock shifts into dollar signs doubled and slashed into a common time signature seasons even suits beetles Britano's phases Harmon's quadruple object postulates of symbiogenesis chambers of the heart myself along with my three younger brothers letters and my last name number of biological parents required for us to meet horsemen points of a cross, a mispronounced force. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is like, 
9-11 happened when I was in fourth grade. So that's like, I don't know. That somehow seems quite significant. There's a lot more to this poem, but I'll just, I'll stop there. <laughs> cool. I mean, like, um, that's, that's very cool. I'm very interested in what you just read. And I want to know more about your process of this piece. Like, so you just sort of go about your days and now you kind of like have a, a mental flag to like just keep an eye out mm -hmm. for for manifestations of the number four. Is it like the mm -hmm. number four specifically? Like the the word four, the number four has to be part of it, or could it be like you see? Um, I mean, in the in the piece you mentioned, like you and your three brothers, like four brothers. Mm -hmm. Like, could it be you see like four red cars in a row, and you would like make a note of that or something like that? Like, yeah. I'm just curious about the process of it. Yeah, um, like there's like a note in there about um, we went to, my brother and I went on a vacation. We tried to go to like Rehoboth Beach, but we ended up like staying in a place that was like 45 minutes away in this like converted barn. And it was it was really cool, but um, every morning, and like the electricity worked fine with one exception, which is when we would make waffles, when we use the waffle maker. It would like short circuit everything and we'd have to flip the circuit breaker and over the course of one morning we did it in four like four times and so it's like things like that that somehow like triggered that sort of i don't know like lens or like you said like flag like um so yeah i do i do kind of keep track of that stuff i don't catch everything and my girlfriend is like keenly aware that i'm doing this so like anytime we're watching a show and someone says the number four i like look at her and like number four and so she like <laughs> has gotten into the phase where it's like super annoying to her she'll roll her eyes you know so i have to i've like scaled it back a little bit i try to just do it in my head <laughs> and not make everything not 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 to make it too important you know but um and i've definitely cooled off keeping track uh of, of every instance but you know if anything seems significant to, it, you know the point is i'm not trying to make a statement about the number four i just want to gather as much information about it as i can and then reassess like what do like what material do i have does there seem to be some kind of pattern emerging here and then try to make you know the the poem sort of have a flow in terms of like content or observation or something like that that's very cool yeah that's awesome i mean i'm I'm into that. I mean, like, not exactly what you're talking about, but, like, just this idea that, like, if you just pay attention to the world, poetry will, like, flow out of that. I, mm -hmm. I find to be, like, fundamentally true. And any way that, like, like any way that you can just kind of get yourself to pay attention in a way that's, like, has a slight tilt towards the poetic, I feel it can just be, like, very rewarding creative process yeah but what you're describing is also very like weird and kind of out there <laughs> and like that's why i'm glad you're talking about it because like it's the kind of it's the kind of like project that i feel you're not going to hear like a teacher very often tell you like hey you should like just pay attention to every time you see the number four and then like, write about it like that's not the type of like <laughs> advice you're gonna yeah. get so i'm glad you're talking right. about it because i think it's really useful to think about yeah. it. Well, there's two, all right. So in terms of like creative process stuff, um, two things. So like the only assignment I will ever co-sign from my MFA program 
were the poetry walks and just going on a walk and trying to make note through your sort of po like poetic lens to like to transform everything into poet the world as Lucy Clifton would say, you know. Like. Well, while poetry sometimes to teachers is a matter of text and something to be studied, for me poetry is is a a way of a way of living in the world. Poetry is a way of trying to express something that is very difficult to express. And it's a way of trying to come to peace with the world. The mistake teachers sometimes make is that they think art and poetry, they think that's about answers. And it's not about that, it's about questions. So you come to poetry not out of what you know, but out of what you wonder. And everyone wonders something differently and at different times. It is a mistake in poetry. It is not a mistake to try to figure out the ways that it's crafted, but its crafting is not what it is. Just go outside, walk around, write something down. Like I will always stand by that as a process because like movement and observation are like keys for a poem, in my opinion. The other thing is, and this is maybe sort of like undermining what I just said a little bit, but like don't ever set out to write a poem specifically like don't don't channel all your energy into writing the poem like I, and, and this goes for any kind of art that i've ever made my wheelhouse has always been like peripherally peripherally i don't know how to even say that word <laughs> to 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 take a peripheral or parallel path to the thing i want to make and because if i let my sort of if if i if i make it the center of my focus it fails and it flops and like the energy just is killed. I lose interest in it almost immediately. I feel like a failure. I don't want to deal with it anymore. But if I like, I give myself a side project to work on, somehow the main project that I've been thinking about all along reveals itself to me and I'm able to kind of tap into it much easier. So I don't know if that makes sense, but those two things like going out on a walk and just specifically for the reason of like making art and um trying not to like directly <laughs> uh you know make a direct focus of your art i think those two things are like super essential to writing and i think anybody can do it you don't need you know to fucking spend thousands of dollars and years of your life <laughs> to, to do either of those things absolutely um can you tell me more about like the, the mechanics of the walk like how does your walk work are you writing as you walk like I'm curious, like I've read about this sort of, this famous like walking poets. I have a friend who walks, who's a really great writer. You know, I walk too, but like, I'm just curious about how, how you approach walking as like a writerly exercise. Um, so I tried to, it's, I also do this, I guess when I'm driving. Um, I actually, I've always been inspired by that Kanye line. Like I forgot better shit than you've ever thought of. <laughs> So I don't walk around with a notebook in my hand. The point is not to make like direct um, observation on the spot. It's to kind of just like notice things, to be like in the world, feeling the world, enjoying being there, you know, just fucking smiling and feeling the goddamn sunshine, you know, and just go out and do that because inevitably what will happen is you'll you know start to receive some kind of information from wherever the fuck you know like something you see or something you hear 
or just a random thought will pop into your head because you're not forcing the issue too much. But just go out and enjoy yourself and walk around and then come home and immediately write down. Um, and that's where like the four vultures thing came from. Like I was just out walking around and there's like all these vultures in my neighborhood uh, all the time, it seems like. And I just noticed them perched on a tree and I just kind of without thinking about it, I was like, oh, that's cool and took a picture of it. And then I got home and like I was in the midst of writing this poem about fours and I was like, fuck, there's four vultures in this picture. Why, you know, what what really drew me to take that picture in the first place? So that would be my advice for that, for the walks. That's very good advice. I appreciate you uh, drilling down into that. And yeah, the other thing you're talking about, too, I find to be very resonant. Like, I haven't thought about exactly those terms, but for me, it's always been like, how can I um, focus more on just like the doing rather than the, the outcome? So like every time I've tried to like, I need to write a fucking sick poem, like it generally like backfires whereas if i can like just get myself to just do something that like generates Mm -hmm. writing that i'm not too worried about um then like interesting shit comes out of that but sometimes it can be hard to sort of align your your mind in the right way and that too is kind of what i was getting at with like this four project Mm -hmm. to me it seems like a cool way to to take a take a bit of pressure off of yourself to like, Oh, I have to write like a sick fucking poem. No, I'm yeah. actually just like writing about the number four and like whatever <laughs> comes will come. And then like, I'll figure it out yeah. later. Like that just seems chill. Like it just seems enjoyable rather than like this daunting task. And right. that's important. I think. Yeah. Like the arbitrary sidetrack is super necessary for writing. Um, yeah. I believe that.
<laughs> colors don't exist, basically, is what, you're trying to, is what I'm getting at. They don't exist. It's kind of like negative numbers. They're just totally negative. <laughs> um, let me, okay, so you just said, a, like, a philosophical thing that, like, when you said colors don't exist, I was just like, shut the fuck up, like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> like, I just had this sort of negative, like, repulsive, like, inner reaction. Um, and I feel like, like, I've read some philosophy. I think philosophy is cool, but I do feel like philosophy has this kind of, like, repulsive quality to it. Like, people oh, just, like, yes. like, Socrates is, like, the, the originator of just, like, it's this guy's problem. Like, he's just out here, like, telling people they're stupid. Like, fuck this guy. Like, um, so I guess what I'm curious about from your perspective is, like, you seem like a pretty, like, chill dude who's, like, thoughtful and open-minded and, and kind and shit. Yeah, you're also schooled in philosophy, which I sometimes like associate with opposite qualities of chill and and, and thoughtful and kind. Uh, like, how how do you relate to philosophy in a way that's like enriching to you? Because like while while I have like read some philosophy that's kind of piqued my interest, philosophy itself has always been a bit like hard for me to get my arms around. Like, yeah. what's your approach to it? Um, well, sort of the same thing with poetry where like my end game obviously like i'm trying to make sense of whatever it is i'm reading or learning about but like i also relinquish the fact that like a, a large percentage of whatever the fuck i'm reading is going in one ear and out the other you know like i i don't even pretend like i understand it and like in that way socrates is really valuable to me because i was like i can just be okay with being stupid and knowing nothing and knowing that knowledge is like um a really complex and also almost impossibly impossible to make real thing that we all <laughs> are like after so um i try not to put pressure on myself i don't know i had a, i had a really awesome group of teachers at towson um all all of them were just like these like nerdy sweet people um that were like also into art and like politics and music and film and like almost all of my introductory class classes to philosophy were like philosophy in film classes and that's like and i you know grew up watching movies with my dad that was like our language <laughs> so to speak was film because we didn't really talk to each other so it's like we just sit together and watch movies so um trying to like make sense of movies that i had seen and being put onto movies i had never heard of and talking about them with like the context of philosophy in the background was a really engaging way to get into it um and then from there i just kind of i tried to follow my interests so i tried to follow i was like interested in like spiritual things and art politics language so i was always taking courses that sort of combine those things together in my experience, I mean, I totally understand, like, there are definitely some really stuffy people um, that really just want to, like, assert their power and sound smart and use a bunch of essentially nonsense words. Um, but, like, the people that I learned from, the one guy was, like, he was a student of Alfonso Lingus, who was a student of, like, some of the initial um, phenomenology teachers or, like... I, I so in other words like I, I was basically learning from people who were like two generations away from like the source of some of the stuff I was studying and 
in order for them to like come up with this shit, they had to kind of make it interesting. So like Alfonso Lingus, when he was teaching at Penn State, was super famous for just his PowerPoint presentations. He would make these funny PowerPoint presentations. And that's how he would sort of explain his points. And so um, the teacher I had, um, he actually, he died like right after I graduated. It was really sad. But he um, he was a huge fan of George Carlin. And so he would take George Carlin bits and like kind of chop them up for us and kind of analyze them through whatever we were reading. So I've always, yeah, I've been really privileged to have teachers that have gone above and beyond and have just been really kind people. Like I've been able to reach out to them. They're the only professors that I've ever had where I've like gone to their office hours to just have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really, really valuable for me. And it was also such a small group of people studying it. You know, I went to Towson was a pretty big school for me. I mean, it was like maybe like, I don't know, 10,000, 15,000. I don't know how many kids. It's a big school to me, but the philosophy department is like 20 kids. <laughs> and I ha- and I see them every day in pretty much all of my classes for like four years. So, and everybody was just a fucking stoner. <laughs> and I was probably one of two students that would actually do the reading. So everybody would just like hit me up to ask what the homework was. And so I would be forced to learn it in order to be able to explain it. And that's always been sort of my learning process is like trying to teach other people. Meanwhile, I don't fucking know what I'm doing at all, but I'm learning by teaching. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that was very long. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's all fucking great. Like, and I mean, there's like, that's like, there's wisdom in that. Like, I feel like that's a, a basic thing. I mean, it's true. Like if you, it's one thing to know how to do something, but like being able to show someone how to do it or understand it, that's a whole different thing. And like, you actually learn about the thing in a, all kinds of different ways by like having to transmit. And yeah, I think that's important and like fucking badass. And I, and I don't know. I, I'm just like a, I'm just like a believer in like, cause you know, like not to drag on professors or anything, but like, you see like different types and there's some who just like, they seem to just kind of assign the same things. And it's like, yeah. they sort of like, they know, they know it all. And they're just kind of like go, doing this thing that they do every year. And then there's people who are like, they're interested in something and they want to like yeah. dig deeper into it. And they're like, all right, let's yeah. fucking talk about this as a class. And it's like more of a collaborative learning process that all the parties are part of rather than like, Hey, I'm here to like be the knowledge transmitter which like is or whatever. And I'll tell you the one big difference between philosophy and pretty much anything else that you can study is that there is no final answer. Like you can learn how to do a math equation and you're always, you know, you're going to apply the same formulas and you're only going to get one answer. Although of course, you know, I don't know if you know this, they've broken math. You now have common core, so you can have two different answers and they can both be correct. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. I think that's awesome. <laughs> but um, philosophy is just like, ultimately, you have to think for yourself. Like you just, you have to just work through whatever the problem is. And most of the time, you just end up with more questions. And like the some result is like, oh, I'm just a depraved, stupid human. Like I don't, <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> you know, so it's very humbling. <laughs> that's i mean so like something you said earlier i can't remember what well I mean, you mentioned heidegger earlier 
and I guess we should just say Heidegger was a Nazi. Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, I listened to a podcast one time called Entitled Opinions, and the dude who who hosts it, he's like a Italian literature scholar, I think, like a Dante scholar, but he definitely has like a Heideggerian lens or some shit, because he's always talking about fucking Heidegger, he's always bringing Heidegger people on. And my friend who introduced me to this podcast, he sort of became obsessed with it and sort of interested in Heidegger as a result. And then he started like talking to me about Heidegger just generally. And he was telling me how Heidegger only wrote like the one book, like what, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, but yeah, it's like one of the most important books ever written, blah, blah, blah. But like my buddy told me this thing about Heidegger that was like, he hated having to write that book. And like his preferred method was just to like lecture. And just to like have these students around that he would like philosophize to and like fucking like argue with and shit. And like to right. him, that was like where the real philosophy action happened. And he viewed the mm -hmm. book as like a a fucking a faint shadow, like a bullshit approximation of it. And when I heard that, that was so like compelling to me because I think like what you're saying about like the the, the lecture uh, approaches of your different teachers and shit, like they're just like talking to you about something and yeah. in a way that you can like connect to at least somewhat. And then like, that is what gives you entree into the text. Whereas like my relationship with philosophy is like, well, who's the philosopher of the people? Like, I guess I'll try this book. And then like, I open it up and it's just like a bunch of fucking words that are very like weird yeah. to me and shit. So yeah, I don't know. I think there's something to that whole, like, just let's just talk about it and like see where we yeah. can get yeah it's that's really valuable and like i think probably my most precious memories of like high school and college are just you know those conversations you have with people that are you know some people call them stoner conversations where they kind of just ramble on and go nowhere but you're just curious about something but um the other thing i'll tell you that like the the process of reading philosophy is fucking overwhelming and it was so stressful for me that like in my sophomore year of college i got shingles like i was literally spending somewhere between four to eight hours a day reading <laughs> and not getting it and it took until i was like somewhere in my junior year and my teacher was like basically explaining like look the only way you're ever going to understand this stuff is if you understand the context of the time period in which it was written and basically, the same way that poets are kind of always talking to each other subtly through poems, philosophers are doing the same shit. Everybody's subtweeting each other. So, like, if you can kind of get a basic idea of what this one person said at this time, and you can figure out the relationship to the other philosopher, then you kind of are keyed into what the fuck they're talking about. And that unlocked so much information for me. Uh, it was just incredible. So yeah that a tip i guess maybe like simultaneously read some history that goes alongside the same time period that those people are writing in that's a good tip and like uh a thing that we're both interested in rap music like when i when i yeah. i remember like i was reading like a hip-hop sub form of a basketball message board and this person like made this thread about um all the times that jay-z quote plagiarized Biggie Smalls, and then like all these people are just like, he's just like in conversation with him, dude. Like he, he's right. just like riffing off right. of his lines, and then like that whole idea, like 
you can't name a a rapper who hasn't like taken a line from Rock Kim or whatever. Like once like that sunk in and I and I got that, the whole art form just like lit up in a way where I was just like, oh yeah, like all of these fucking people are in this like massive dialogue with all these other people and there's all this connective tissue that's just so weird and so crazy and so cool and it has to do with like the music side and the lyric side and like right. yeah once you can see something as like a and this is something my dad always says like talking about as like career advice he's always like you need to understand the, like the system like the bigger system of it and but it's as an intellectual <laughs> thing like once you see the like kind of the world or the system of it it does start like you can start to make connections and like you just have yeah. a deeper experience with it yeah and there's you know it's rap is really like a family affair um and you can assess that in a, many different ways you know like i think the main thing though is that when you pay homage to someone else and you're quoting somebody else that's that's an important thing to do and you don't take it lightly you know like it's it's serious to kind of like implement and work with someone else's ideas and so in that sense i feel like it's not plagiarism because they're not claiming it as their own they're just saying i really understand where you're coming from and it makes sense also in this context of my life and my art basically when you see the hidden story the background like the background story of all the music um it starts to get pretty interesting but it, you have to learn the code and the language and it takes a while Uh, mixed uh, I didn't I've never really known how to approach that dude's work 
but it's, I'm glad you mentioned that stuff because it gives me a, a bit of a way in. Yeah, and you know, like, so I was telling you, I'm a substitute teacher, and so like, I'm around high school students, and yeah, like X is an important artist to the to that age group, but it's just because of the music itself, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm yeah. totally willing to concede that like some of his music is very catchy and interesting, and if I was at that age, you know, like I was into hardcore music and rap. And like, I guess like emo's acoustic stuff as well. So it's like he occupied all the lanes that I would have been interested in. And so I probably also would have been interested in. But like after having experiences like making music myself and like reflecting on what it took to make it and kind of like the persona I had to adapt in order to make it and feeling shitty about that later on, uh, I was like, there's no way I could ever be a fan of this dude. Like, <laughs> like I, I hate, you know, and I, and I would try to have those kind of conversations with people in high school, but they're just not, they're not hip to it yet. You know, like they, they just care about what they've heard. They're only going to, you know, they're not super interested in the artist's life or path or their decision-making or any of that kind of stuff. Um, well, and like, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Like there's, there's like two things you say that are really interesting. Like, one is like I've had the experience of like as you get older you start to realize the artists are like human beings basically. And yeah. and then you're like, oh like this artist is like yeah. a fucking shitbag. Like he treats people like yeah. shit. Like fuck this guy. And like to me that doesn't I, I you know, I'm I'm willing to enjoy art by like shitbags. Like that's something that I'm sometimes okay with. Mm -hmm. But other times it really does ruin it for me. Like I'm just like mm -hmm. yeah, this like it fucking sucks. And like the the thing that sucks about them is like illuminated in their work now that I can kind of see it mm -hmm. more clearly, um, right? And that's just like I don't know. I think it's part of getting older. Like it's for me when I was a, a, a high school student, like artists weren't people to me. They were like fucking heroes or some or some shit. And I don't know. That's I can't remember the second thing I was gonna say. <laughs> I've been having that problem too. I'm like, I need to write shit down while I'm talking to you. <laughs> uh, fucking. Oh, no. Okay. I, I got it. Sorry. I'm back. I'm back on track. <laughs> Just got the sauce. The other Three thing times. that you fucking said that, that made me think was like this idea that you have to like adopt a persona as an artist, maybe a misanthropic persona to like thrive or whatever. I've definitely like experienced that as a poet to some extent where like once I realized that like me writing a poem about like really fucked up feelings um, turns people on to some extent, uh, mm -hmm. then it sort of like creates this loop that can become toxic where it's like, and me and my friend Justin have both experienced this to different extents, like where you sort of like as a poet, you just kind of become like a, a performer of, deep pain and like yeah. that's what the poet's role is it's just like tap into like the most painful difficult shit that you've gone through and then like relay it in this like artistic way and don't get me wrong like that can be cool and that can be beautiful and it can certainly be like compelling art and like you said it seems like the x has made compelling art like in that in some sort of similar vein but it's just like it can fucking chip away at your soul. Like it can just Absolutely. fuck you up as a human. And it's at a certain point you have to like, you have to figure it out because you can't do that forever. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a really fortunate moment um, with a friend of mine. His name's Chad. So shout out to Chad. Um, 
he so like i was working on a project called suicide like that was like the name of the project and it was you know the, basically the narrative arc was like thinking about doing it and then like exploring why and then at the end of the project it was sort of like a moment of like do you or don't you kind of thing and why is it not worth it or why is it worth it and in the midst of recording that like i got super fucking depressed like i I mean, I was basically starting on it because I had had some like suicidal thoughts, but I thought I had like kind of worked through it. And I thought it would be really important for me to be able to kind of like vocalize it and talk about it and write about it and sort of be an advocate um, against suicide, <laughs> not, not an advocate for. Um, but he basically was like, dude, you're basically manifesting this for yourself. Like you got to stop. Um, like you need to just find a new direction because this is going to fucking chip away at you and you're going to end up, you know, in a, in a position where you can't help yourself. You know what I mean? Like you'll become this, you're going to speak it into existence and like, you need to be conscious of that. So you have to, um, be careful about your selection of what you're going to say. And I just can the whole fucking thing. I actually really pretty much from that point almost stopped making music because I was like, damn, why the fuck am I? pursuing this you know like <laughs> it maybe could have had a positive impact but it was wearing on me to such an extent that like he could see it on my face and like had to pull me aside and be like you have to stop yeah so that's cool i was really fortunate to have that and i'm like forever thankful for that conversation um but yeah that um it's yeah it's a precarious like path to be an artist um you know, you're talking about like exploring maybe the most painful things. And I think that's what first triggered me to write not necessarily write poems or songs, but just to sort of like work out what my feelings and thoughts were. Um, and that was like my initial way in um, to writing. And I'll also say this, like one time I was, I was like super, super fucking stoned. And I was thinking about that concept of the zone, like when you're in the zone, and I had this like kind of epiphany moment where I was like, oh, when you're in the zone, you're just like confronting death. Like you're just listening to what death is really saying to you, you know, like real reality is being exposed to you. And so you have this opportunity to listen to what death has to say. And you also have this opportunity to speak to death and to not just be this like passive component in your life, but also um, take action kind of activate yourself and that's like why the zone feels like this like total quieting kind of effect on everything and you just like tapped into this whatever like energy or thought or something um but more recently i think it's become really important to me to not focus so much always on like pain and negativity and that may make a compelling story but like life is so much more complex than that um and it's you know it's full of all of these other things that should be celebrated and are worth sticking around for and uh you know art gave me that you know like i i, I didn't i think i always knew i should be happy about certain things but i couldn't express that or pay attention to them fully until i got to the point where i was like if i only focus on negative shit in my art i'm going to also be depressed and like create a very negative reality for myself and the people around me. So I had to stop, I had to change.
getting it out i do think that that's true like that's that's like a tip because like i've written a lot of poems about like the people in my life and shit i had this whole phase where i just like write poems like complaining about social problems i was having it was just like (laughs) it was like it was what it was but like i realized that was like a shitty thing to do like to just like put people on blast in a poem and like and like, violates the friendships i mean most people are cool with it if like i was pretty like i'm not like fake with people so like i would like share shit with them like if i wrote some poem like about how i was pissed at someone i'd share it with them you know and then and then that would be a way we could move past it but i, I still came to feel that like the poem is not the ideal avenue for that sort of thing uh but it is the yeah. ideal avenue to like get that bullshit out because like what mm-hmm. you can do is just like Oh yeah, I have these like seventeen pissy thoughts about this shit. Well, deleting those, like I thought <laughs> them, I processed them. They're fucking dead to me now, and it's just like that's the move. And then that opens up all the space and poems to be like yeah. tools of like wisdom and and all kinds of other stuff. It's like you're, you know, you made me think that maybe writing that way is like a mode of drafting. Uh, the transformation, you know, of yourself. So the sort of like what you said, like writing down seventeen shitty things. You know, you make that kind of list for yourself, and then you, you know, acknowledge it. Be like, okay, this is part of how I think, and then how do I move differently? 
drafting uh, the transformation.